everybody, this is Freddie Cohen of ESPN Radio. When I'm not talking about breaking news or breaking news on ESPN Radio, I'm always a fan and listening to the Detroit Sports Podcast, and so should you. Welcome, and thank you for downloading another podcast episode from the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. This is the one-on-one podcast. I am the Doc, John Macaroon. Joining me today, he is the Detroit Pistons insider for Detroit Sports 105.1, also the host of the Detroit Lions training camp program. You hear it weekdays, 7 p.m. He accepted my invitation, came to the Sterling Heights studio, Jake Chapman. Thank you for joining me on the one-on-one podcast. I'm looking forward to our chat. You got it, Doc. Thanks for having me. It's a nice setup you got going in here. Yeah, man. It, you know, I love podcasting. I love sports. And I also, I love getting to know the people, the personalities that are in sports. And I'm looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better, how you got here to Detroit, your love of basketball, your love of football. And I know that you're doing a lot of different things over there at Detroit Sports 105.1. It's good stuff. I'm a listener. Welcome. Welcome to Detroit, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been a year. Uh, I... I feel like it's been. I feel like it's gone by very fast. Obviously, um, got here when when one hundred five one got the rights to the Pistons and sort of hit the ground running. And now I, I'm, I'm kind of looking back. I'm like, man, a year just went by. I feel like a Detroiter. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm getting there. Anyways, um, I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, so it's not it's not that drastic a change. You know, I, I wanted to get back to the Midwest. I was in Florida for a while, uh, but it's been great. Everybody's been great. And Detroit Sports one hundred five one. We have. I think we got something special going over there. I love the guys I work with, and uh, we have a lot of fun. And you and I both have something in common. We both paid the Michigan road tax earlier this week. Last week, Ugh. I busted out a tire, left driver's side tire. When I set up the chat with you, you told me, man, we got to hold off a little bit. I busted out my tire. What the hell happened? I, Michigan uh, roads got you, huh? Michigan roads got me. I feel like if you move to Michigan, if you declare residency, you should be gifted four free tires <laughs> because you're going to need them, I guess. Um, yeah, it was. I was on... Uh, Livernoy coming out of Clawson on my way in to do the show last Friday and I had just taken my car in like two weeks prior and they said yeah your tires are fine maybe I'll need a new set come winter and sure enough I caught I don't know like a pothole a group of potholes I don't even know exactly what it was but I popped that donut on and I went back in on Monday and so 250 bucks later I got a new set of tires and exactly I paid the tax. So you've been in Detroit now one year. Yep. How quickly did it take for you to realize that, man, this is a great sporting town, lots of things to dig into, football, baseball, basketball, college sports. It's a great sports town, man. John, I wanted to come. I, I knew that before I came here. You know, I, I, I don't think I would have been as um, – I, I wanted to get back to the Midwest. I spent eight years in Florida, and I have a little niece, and my whole family's still in Cleveland. So I was looking around Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, Pittsburgh-type area. But the gig with the Pistons and with Detroit Sports 105.1 just seemed like a perfect fit, not only because I had been working for the Orlando Magic, I knew that I could do the Pistons portion of the gig, um, but this, it, you know, if any sports market was screaming for a second sports, you know, all day sports talk station, it's Detroit. It's one of the best sports markets in the country, if not the best. And so the whole, the, just the notion of being able to get involved with Lions stuff, with Tiger stuff, and just knowing how passionate sports fans are, A, in the Midwest from growing up in Cleveland, and be in Detroit, um, I, I I knew it would be a perfect fit. And and sure enough, I mean, <laughs> Detroit sports fans are interesting. They're very provincial, very protective, you know, very much so. They want, they, they want you to be an insider and they want you to be one of their own. But I've been pretty open on the air about the fact that I'm not from here. I didn't grow up from here. And nobody holds that against me. I think they look at it as a reason for me to be objective, for me to bring, um, you know, sort of an, a, a fresh set of eyes. Um, to the Detroit sports scene. So I've been enjoying it, and luckily I uh, haven't screwed up too much. 
Now you said you grew up in Cleveland. Tell me a little bit about your beginnings in sports, how you developed a passion for sports, and what teams maybe you followed as a, as a youngster. Yeah, so growing up, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Browns and Indians were my entire world. Um, I wasn't even that big of an Ohio State fan. I ended up going there for school for, you know, actually legitimate reasons. I thought it would be um, good for me wanting to get into sports broadcasting to go to a big time type school. I actually took a visit to the University of Michigan. So it's not like I was one of those kids who was growing up, you know, bred into uh, being a Buckeye. Um, I just wanted to go to, to the best school, I felt like. And so growing up, you know, Cleveland sports are a lot like Detroit sports. Um, guys like Joe Tate, who was the voice of the Cavaliers for my entire childhood. Um, you know, some some local sports talk guys who who I just sort of connected with and Michael Ray guy. And, um, you know, there's just a couple guys who you just remember their voice. Right. And and that's sort of how I fell in love with sports radio, just sitting in my car with my dad, listening to tribe games every day over the course of the summer. You know, you just sort of have these these fleeting memories of that. And, and so, look, I, I knew I wanted to get into sports. I didn't know exactly how I wanted to do it. Um, when I went to Ohio State, I wrote for the paper and I didn't even write sp- for sports. I just wanted to, to basically broaden my horizons and make sure I had every avenue covered. So I did the campus beat, got out of there, did a, a season long internship with the Orlando Magic, which was the first time I ever stepped foot in Florida for crying out loud. I didn't even think I'd like Florida. And, you know, you, you just sort of go wherever the opportunities are. Um, I spent two years after that internship doing overnights and doing board op stuff and just kind of making my way in radio, constantly deferring my student loans at Ohio State. And, uh, and then the, the producer gig opened up for the Orlando Magic. So I spent six seasons, uh, five seasons in Orlando producing and getting on the air a little bit. And then the gig came open up here in, uh, in Detroit and the rest is history. And uh, growing up in Cleveland, being a Cleveland sports fan, it's a little bit tough because at the time growing up, not too much success sports-wise. It was a little bit, a little bit tough oh, challenge. John, it's, I mean, still, you know, and it's funny because now that I work in the NBA, I would say, you know, I'm not necessarily an NBA fan or a, a fan of a specific team. You, you just want to make sure you, you've got the whole association covered and you, and you know everything. So as you get into sports, you kind of lose your fanhood a little bit. Um, but that's why it's refreshing to be in a place like Detroit where you can kind of you know, you turn more cynical and you end up being a little bit more, um, you feel like kind of an outsider or maybe it's an insider. You feel like you're presenting the story and you're not as much of a fan as maybe you once were. But, you know, in a place like Detroit, the passion of the fans, you know, you feel that. And so you do sort of end up just sort of naturally rooting for the Detroit teams because you want to you want it to be a good show in the morning. You don't want people calling up angry and, and, and miserable. And look, I'm from Cleveland. I understand what miserable sports fans are all about. So um, especially with the Lions, it's funny doing the Lions show and doing Lions topics. It's you're irrational. And that's what technically being a fan is all about. You're a fanatic. You are an irrational uh, fan of that team. But with the Lions, I can understand how years and years of of gut punches uh, sort of sort of lead you to to, to a negative outlook. I think it's going to be a good football team this year, but I can understand why a Lions fan would be like, show me, you know, let's talk when they go 11 and five again. So you're at Ohio State, and so you're quickly acclimated to the intense rivalry with the hatred of the University of Michigan. Sure. Did you get into that uh, in college? Did you sense the intense nature of the rivalry? You went back and forth? Oh, totally. Up? And I would, and it, you know, it was a joke to me. I had I'd, I'd visited Ann Arbor, and I'd been in, I went to a game at Tiger Stadium, but I hadn't been to Michigan very much. Um, so yeah, I was, I was the guy putting the, you know, the, the funny Facebook messages about how terrible the state up north is and blah, 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 blah. It's, you know, it's, it's fun. You get up here and you just you appreciate that look, yes, there's two teams. Michigan State has a great fan base, 
but Michigan is Michigan, and it's about as popular as Ohio State football is um, in the state of Ohio. Now, granted, Ohio State is the only it's the only game in town. But the reason the rivalry is what it is is because of mutual levels of respect and mutual levels of success. So you go back to Bo and Woody and even beyond that, and you know you appreciate the fact that they're very similar to us. There's a reason that the rivalry exists, and it's because when you look across the country, there's probably only a couple programs who can say we've had the sustained level of success over the course of history as Michigan, as Ohio State. Um, so it's it's fun. I hated I hate Michigan being bad because especially when I was in Florida and Ohio State was getting smoked in uh, in in not only BCS championship games, but any bowl game, anytime we played an SEC team, I was the one who had to put up with it. And their argument was always, oh, you're, you know, the Big Ten, Ohio State's all they had. Well, it's a lot easier to, to argue that when it's Ohio State and Michigan, the Big Two and the Little Eight. And now you got Wisconsin, you got Michigan State, obviously. Um, the Big Ten is back and it's fun. But Ohio State and Michigan, they're always going to be the top two headliners. And college football in general, let alone the Big Ten, is better, much better when Michigan is good. So you're at Ohio State, you studied communication, broadcast. What did you study? Yeah, I studied journalism. They didn't okay. even have a broadcasting program mm. when I went. I'm sure they do now. Um, but I studied straight journalism, wrote for the, the school paper, The Lantern. And like I said, I didn't even do sports. I made sure I, I did the campus beat and I was able to do different other other things. And I just wanted to teach myself to be a good writer. And yes, when I got out of school, I didn't go and work for a newspaper while I was at Ohio State. Um, while I was writing, I was doing internships. Um, at TV stations and at radio stations. So I made sure, and again, this is if, you know, if anybody's listening who's trying to break into this business, one of my big pieces of advice is just make sure you can do everything. You know, be a jack of all trades. Don't think of it as jack of all trades, master of none. Be a master of all trades if possible. Um, I just think in broadcasting and in journalism in general, um, in media in general, as many different things as you can do because they're all somewhat intertwined, you're going to you're gonna help yourself out because you never know when they say, hey, we need somebody to run the board tonight. We need somebody to write something for the website. And if you can step up, then that's you have to take advantage of your opportunities um, in this line of work. And so fortunately for me, I've been able to, but I think a lot of that is because I always said, I don't want to be you know, pigeonholed. I want to make sure I can do a little bit of everything. So I was able to write. And then when I got into radio, yes, of course, that writing experience helped me. I'm writing commercials. I'm writing, you know, feature stories for halftime during an Orlando Magic game. I'm writing scripts for the pregame show. Um, it's all pretty intertwined. So as far as I've always been concerned, do a little bit of everything and make sure you're you're able to slide in whenever you have an opportunity. Yeah. So early on, you're you're writing, you're working at the college newspaper, you're doing that. Are you starting to formulate your goals as to what you want to do? You know, I know you said you wanted to, you wanted to master a lot of different things, but did you have an overall end goal as to what you want to do in radio and broadcasting? Almost not even. Like okay. my my overall goal um, at Ohio State and when I graduated was to have a career and have a job where I could be creative, and that was it. And so I knew sports. I thought sports was was going to be part of it because I knew how passionate I was about sports. But there was a time where I was comfortable with. I, I took a gig in Vero Beach, Florida. Um, before I went back to work for the Orlando Magic, and I worked for a year writing and producing commercials for for a group of radio stations. And so I started to fancy myself as a Mad Men advertising guy, you know? Oh, I'm going to be on Madison Avenue sooner than later. And I really enjoyed it because I could be creative. I woke up, you know, I got to work every morning, and I wrote commercial scripts for different clients. I'd go out on sales meetings with them sometimes, and I'd help present uh, to clients, and then I would go actually produce the commercials and do um, you know some voiceover work and stuff, and I really liked that. So ultimately, my my goal was to be creative and get paid for it. Um, but it's a lot easier to be creative 
when you're doing something that you're passionate about. And sports has always been my biggest passion. Yeah, now you're you soon find yourself being a producer with the Orlando Magic uh, radio broadcast team. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what does that entail? What does your job entail with the uh, Orlando Magic as a producer? Yeah, so the Magic are a little bit different. They do everything in house, right? So um, you know, as far as the Pistons go, now Detroit Sports 105.1 is the flagship for the Pistons. I'm an employee of Detroit Sports 105.1, but Mark Champion and Rick Mahorn, the broadcast team, are employees of the Pistons. Um, but all the infrastructure, the, I'm also the executive producer of the broadcasts. So all of that, the affiliate network, um, you know, us airing games in, in Lansing and in, in Grand Rapids and across the state, that all comes down to, to me and, and to us at Detroit Sports 105.1. With the Magic, everything was done in-house. So we had a radio department. Um, at the Orlando Magic, which included the talent, but also included the producers and the behind-the-scenes folks. So it was a radio manager who's actually our TV sideline reporter as well, Dante Marcatelli. He's my mentor. It was me, the producer, and I would get an intern every year, and we would put on the broadcast just like that. And obviously we had the talent, uh, you know, the play-by-play and the color analyst. But so a lot of what I did was behind the scenes, I was working the board for every game. Um, I was pr- uh, producing commercials that would run within the broadcast. I was directing the broadcast as well. Okay, we're going to go to the, you know, to the NBA scoreboard next. We're going to go to to whatever next. Hey, Dennis, make sure you, you remind them about Dwight. You know, he had 24 rebounds last week, uh, whatever. And so that was a lot of it. It was mostly behind the scenes stuff. But then, you know, as I got more comfortable, um, we did a daily radio show, Magic Drive Time, uh, 530 to 6, Monday through Friday during the season. So I started hosting and producing that. Uh, We did a lot of web content. I wrote. So as you know, as you start to get more comfortable, responsibilities get added. They let you be creative. If you want to create stuff, they're going to find an outlet for it. Um, But the main job was producing and directing every Orlando Magic radio broadcast. And so 90 games a year, you know, when I first got there, the team was still good. We still had Stan as the head coach. So it would, it would be a long season. You make a deep playoff run. We went to the Eastern Conference Finals my first year as producer. And uh, man, it was a blast. There's nothing like, nothing like producing a, a, a big sports broadcast like that. And Unfortunately, I haven't been able to do so since. Were you in Orlando when the whole issue with Dwight Howard and Stan? I was. Down? I was in oh, the middle well, of it. Take us through it. What was it like uh, for you it being nuts. there? It was nuts. I, um, like I said, we had an intern. So the intern would go to every shooter on in practice and hold the mic. But I would go every once in a while if I wanted to get something for myself or I thought something particularly interesting was going to happen. And that, that was just a strange, it was a strange time, very strange week because we'd been hearing rumors that Stan knew that Dwight wanted him fired and was going to say it. And so we're all like, you know, oh, my gosh, when is this going to happen? Just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And we were all on the inside as team employees. The media had inklings about it, but they were they were going to push it. So we're out there on the practice floor and Stan has spoke for five to eight minutes and he hasn't said anything about it. And I look over in the corner and I see Dwight trying to sneak out the back way. And so Brian Schmitz, who is our lead beat writer, Trish Wingerson, who was the PR staffer, and I walk out. And Trish, who's the PR girl, is trying to push Dwight out the door. Brian, who's a reporter, is trying to bring Dwight in and ask him some questions. And Dwight turns to me and he goes, are they talking about me out there? And I go, not really. And he goes, I'm going to go set him straight. And there was no stopping him. And he walked in. Meanwhile, in the meantime, like we didn't, I didn't understand how all this was happening because in the time we'd been in the hallway, Stan had said, Dwight wants me fired. I know it. And so the whole thing was a surprise and awkward to me as well as Dwight and Brian and Trish because we walked out. Dwight did the little thing where he put his arm around Stan, and we had no idea that in that three or four minutes, Stan had said, Dwight wants me fired. So Dwight walks out and puts his arm around him, and he said, no, I don't want him fired. And then they said, well, he just told us that you want him fired. 
And then it was the most awkward press conference in the world. So I was in the middle of the whole thing, and I it surprised me as well. And finally, I turned. My boss was like, "Yeah, he just said it." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, we're not going to live this down ever." Now, being in Detroit and stands here, have you had a chance to kind of refresh that with him? I have not asked okay. him about it. No, it's funny too. I was just reading something the other day about like that that period. One of the last times he was here while he was still coaching the Magic, somebody asked him how the Dwight situation was going, and he said. Fine. Next question. (laughs) So it was a, look, it sucked because Dwight was just immature. And he, we watched him go from really, really good, young, immature to too much power, too much everything immature. And when you get to that point, yes, he was a great player, but he wasn't a leader. And he wasn't, he turned into not, to not a very good, um, I guess, corporate citizen. You know, he wasn't very fun to be around. And that's not the Dwight that we knew. He changed. And I don't necessarily blame him for it because I think a lot he had a lot of people telling him anything he wanted to hear. But he knew not long after he left, after he orchestrated that whole thing, that he'd made a mistake because he knew that Stan was the best coach for him. The thing about Stan is he can, you know, after a couple of years, he might wear on you a little bit. He's going to ride you hard, but he's going to get the results. He's going to get the best out of you. There is no Dwight Howard three-time defensive player of the year without Stan Van Gundy. Now, again, it broke down because probably at that point in Stan's career, he needed to work on his you know interpersonal communication skills a little bit. Um, and I think he has. I certainly have seen it within the first year here. But that was such a bummer because it was a really fun team and it was a really fun time in Orlando. And Stan's a hell of a coach. And that was, I'm telling you, the fact that it was Detroit is part of the reason that I wanted to come here. But if it were the old, you know, regime and and switching coaches every year or two, um, I wouldn't have been as as gung ho about being a part of the Pistons organization. I know that Stan is going to get them back to a deep playoff run. Do I know he's going to deliver a championship? No, but Stan Van Gundy doesn't do something for two or three years and it doesn't work. Now, speaking of like, you know, you said Dwight Howard wasn't the best to work with. And in radio, it's the same thing. You got to have a team of people to get a show on the air, to get research, to get information. And I get a sense that a lot of times stations want to have a family environment in order to produce the best. You want to be able to trust the guy next to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk about your experiences working in radio with others. And did you have good PDs in, in your in your times uh, in radio in your early jobs? Well, it's interesting because when I was first breaking in, I was at a news talk station. They, our flagship was a was a straight news talk station um, in Orlando. And so I was breaking in doing like, you know, Sean Hannity shows and stuff like that. So I was just working the board, doing traffic and weather type updates. Um, but yeah, I had a guy named Levi May, who was our assistant program director. Um, not very much older than me. He was probably, at that time, I was 22, 23, and he was probably 28 or 29. And he was so patient with me. Because he would put me, you know, he they just threw you in there, right? Like, get behind the board. It's not going to bite. Press the button. You know what to do. Well, then when they go to the traffic and weather update, I'm talking, which I'm not used to, speaking on the air. And then I'm also working the board. And so there were a couple overnight shifts where it was a nightmare. And I, and I remember he emailed me one night and he said, sounds a little rocky. Which is, a, which is a nice way of saying, that sucked. you sound awful, that sucked, <laughs> right? And so thank God for the patience of guys like that. And I remember I, I felt so terrible. You know, here I'm getting this opportunity and I'm letting them down. And it's difficult because I was working once or twice a week just doing overnight shifts. And so I couldn't necessarily get a rhythm. But I remember tell, feeling terrible and telling him, like, just be patient with me, please. Like, I'm going to get this. Like, I'm going to work my tail off to not let you down. Sure enough, he did. I got better. And then when I worked for the Magic, I didn't have a PD. Right. It, it was not really a ratings based, you know, working for a, a radio cluster type situation. So 
I was you have executive producers and things like that. It was it was it was the radio manager. Mm-hmm. It was me, the producer, and it was an intern, and that mm-hmm. was it. And so as long as we were you know putting on a, a good broadcast and we were comfortable that the broadcast sounded really good and it was sharp, and as long as we weren't attacking the team too much, that was the whole thing. We were team employees. So I would say my PD was more like the PR guy for the Orlando Magic uh, during my time there. And since I've been in Detroit, like, I mean, this group, man, we have so much fun. And it's also for me, it's the first time in my career that I've worked with a whole bunch of like-minded sports broadcasters, right? So I, I have guys, you know, guys like Ron Crichton and Joey and Brandon who produced Drew and Mark's show. They're all about my age. And we're all very, very similar. You know, we think alike. We're both, we're all passionate about sports, about broadcasting. We're all, you know, fairly successful for our age with where we are right now. Um, and, and they're all good guys. And then you got guys like Drew and Mark and Matt and Ryan and Rico who are ahead of where we are in our career, but who aren't jerk talent. You know, they're all great to work with. And of course, everybody has their own sort of relationships you know the producer and and the talent i'm a little bit of a wild card i'll be there all day i'll get to hear all the different shows and so i have a lot you know i i have input on it with everybody and i have relationships with everybody but we have a group of guys who respect each other who have a lot of fun doing it and i think we have some pretty damn good broadcasters too so it was so exciting for me to get there and be like man this is you know i've been missing this my whole career i've been working for a team where my coworkers are ticket sales people and pr people and uh, community relations people, which is great. It was fun working for their team. But now I'm working with a bunch of people who I feel like are a lot more similar to me, and it's a blast. Yeah, and, and you know, working in radio, sometimes there's going to be change. So you get to here to Detroit, and you were hired by Jason Dixon, correct? Yep. Now, and then towards now, the, the beginning of this year, Jason is now moved on to Sirius Radio, has right. his own thing going on in Washington. Now you have a new PD coming in. What's that transition like for you? Are you a little bit anxious? Are you, are you look forward to meeting them? What's that like when uh, a program director changes kind of midway through what you're Absolutely. doing? Absolutely. Well, it was scary. I mean, Jason Jason took a chance on me, and, and, I'll, and I'll never forget that. And then we didn't make it through the Pistons season before Jason was let go. I mean, mm-hmm. he was let go, and I, I think it was at the end of January, and Dave was brought on board in February. And so it was one of those things, you know, you appreciate in radio that that's going to happen. As a matter of fact, when I was leaving the Magic, I had a lot of people tell me the one thing you need to be, you know, appreciate is how much security you have working for a team versus you get out there and I don't care if it's Greater Media or Clear Channel or Cox Communications uh, or Cumulus, there's changes often. So I, I, I sort of knew that, but it definitely caught me off guard a little bit. Like, okay, I got hired four months ago and this guy who hired me is now out the door. Um, it was one of those things where I think overall they agreed that, um, you know, the whole thing like, okay, this is the head coach that's going to turn things around. This is the head coach who's going to get us to the next level. And so I think we, and I, I just came up with that. That's not how it was, <laughs> how it was phrased, phrased to us. I think Jason was great for, to get us sort of off, off the ground and, and launch the station and then I think management sort of said, you know, we need something fresh. We need a we need a new voice here. And uh, and Dave Shore has been outstanding. He came from Los Angeles. You know, when you get a guy from L.A. who was doing ESPN Seven Ten, like you're going to get a legit um, a legit programmer. And he, aside from that, he got here and he made a point to embrace every one of us individually and let us be ourselves. You know, he didn't want to come in and take True Lane's show and. F with it. He said, Drew, you're successful for a reason. There might be a tweak here and there, but he's letting Drew do his show. He's letting Ryan Enrico do their show. Um, and I think certainly the talent appreciates that. 
you're also doing shows from time to time in, in fill-ins as well as the Piston Show and the Lions Training Camp Show. You're now doing a couple, a lot of different things. Talk about uh, hosting your own sports show and a little bit behind the scenes. What's it take a little bit to put on a three-hour radio show talking sports here in Detroit? Yeah, it's um, it's it's so interesting, and it's been it's been strange for me because um, you know, I'm kind of the utility man. Right. So if somebody's gone, I'm look, I'm not turning down any opportunity to get on the air. So anytime somebody's gone and I'm available, I'm I'm in there. So I've worked with a lot of different people and sometimes I've worked with people who I don't even know. I did two days with Sean Belegian last week and we had met we had met like once before that and had a very short conversation. So we you make sure you you sit down and you do the prep, you do a nice long production meeting before you go on the air. But like with Sean and I, we were just BSing the whole time, right? We were just <laughs> getting to know each other like you and I are right now. And so, so like you end up, you end up, if you can do it that way, especially with somebody like Sean, who's such a pro, you end up sounding like you've known each other for a while. And that's, you know, it's difficult to manufacture chemistry. But again, somebody like Sean is so easy to do a show with because of all the experience that he has. But what you really want to do is you're going to put the prep in. you're going to, it's great when you have a good producer like a Jason Jarvie or a Ron, who's going to make sure, you know, they can compliment what it is you want to talk about. Like, here, we have audio here. You might want to, like, Maz is amazing. Here, let's get this guy on the phone. Uh, let's, you know, let, let's build the story this way. But the bottom line is you want to find something that you feel like people want to hear you talk about. So it's, the, the way we always do it is, it doesn't, if you sit down at a bar, you don't say, let's talk about sports. You just start talking. And so maybe, you know, when we sit down to do the show, we don't say we have to talk about the Lions today. We talk about whatever it is we feel like is interesting. Whatever it is, there might be some conflict between me and the co-host. I work with Rob Parker a lot. We naturally disagree on a lot of things. And we don't sit there and go, what do you, what do you feel about this? Oh, I agree with you. Let's not talk about it. We sit there and we just start talking. And then when we start going back and forth, you can just feel it. We, we got something here. This is a topic that... People are going to agree with you. People are going to agree with me. We're going to get a, a nice little back and forth here. And you just want you, you want topics that have, uh, we call them branches. You want, you, you want a tree that you can grow off of. So, for instance, last week when we had you on and we were talking about, um, you know, uh, brain injuries and, and CTE, and you start with football and you start with the sport that we've always known, but then you start getting into issues like masculinity and why don't people like asking for help and the stigma that mental health um, you know, uh, presents in this country. Now, all of a sudden, we've been talking for an hour about something that isn't even necessarily, you know, very applicable anymore. Like, we're now we're talking about bigger issues, and that's what's so fun about it. I love that show we did last week, and I loved having you on. Thank you so much. Yeah, the, the interview went great. And yeah, just any chance you get to spread the message of mental health, and, and especially now with, you know, some athletes that are kind of hurting themselves, it's very important to get that message sure, across. Absolutely. For those that are now students and they want to get into this business, you said the important thing is try to learn a lot of different things. If you can give them any other type of advice to help them reach their career, maybe in sports broadcasting, because it's such a tough thing, very competitive, and a lot of people, you know, try to get into it, but a lot of people, you know, maybe fade off or don't continue it because it's super tough. Besides potentially doing a lot of different things, what else would you say is something that someone could do to get into sports broadcasting and have a successful career? Read. That right off the bat, I I think you know I talked before about writing and how it's if you're if you're a good writer you're going to be a good broadcaster you know it's a, a lot of it is just a matter of putting together thoughts you know and mm-hmm. and and being eloquent and being able to present an argument and one of the things that I see now with kids is you know yeah I want to write a blog or yeah I want to do a radio show well do you know what radio show is on right now 
on the sports talk station that you want to be on? No. Oh, okay. You read a blog. What was the last blog you read? Uh, so a lot of people want to do these things, but they don't know the business. Okay. And that's stuff that you can do without getting experience. You know, there's always this sort of, how do I get experience without getting my foot in the door? And how do I get an opportunity without having experience? Well, you can build your own experience. John, you built your own podcast, right? There are, there's so many different avenues and options that you can make happen for yourself before getting that internship, before even getting your degree, when you're in high school. When I was in high school, one summer, I did... I I shot and produced a video for this show on the independent film channel because my mom knew the producer, right? It was just I pulled on family strings and I said I'm getting I'm getting interested in you know in video and broadcasting um and in media in general. Is there anything I can do to help out? They gave me this amazing opportunity um in Massillon, Ohio to do something on the the high school football team and it it looked great on my resume. So there's always something you can do to get involved. But my, you know, my first piece of advice is know your business, whatever it is you want to get into, know the talent, follow everybody on Twitter, know who's on, uh, you know, know the changes happening at ESPN in terms of ESPN radio right now, know where Colin's going, um, have a sense of the business and read like it's so simple. But if you want to be a good writer, you have to be a good reader. And I realize that now, you know, you don't read the paper like we used to and people don't necessarily even read books like you used to. But just spend an hour every day reading blog posts and reading uh, profile pieces on ESPN.com or um, you know ESPN Magazine. I, I think there are so many different resources, and especially in this business now, everybody has their own voice. Find a couple guys that you look up to and, and, and be a disciple. You know, Devote yourself to knowing how it is they got there, and then you can sort of manufacture that for yourself. Okay, Jake Chapman's got an hour free. What blog sites and websites are good uh, sports content that you like to look into and read into? Um, I like, okay, so I like, that's a good question. You're putting me on the spot. I like SB Nation quite a bit, but only specific writers. Same with Bleacher Report. Like a lot of Bleacher Report, I like I have to s- sort of sift through. In terms of the NBA, there are some really, really good writers and there are some really good reporters just in general. Like obviously, uh, if you want news, you go to you, you go to Adrian Wojnarowski. Um, but in terms of writing, like, um, I think Grantland does an outstanding job in terms of long form pieces, Zach Lowe's podcast. And then his writing is really, really good as well. His new podcast is outstanding. If you block off 50 minutes, if you can, or listen to it in the car or whatever. Um, I love that. I, in terms of straight radio, I've Colin Coward has always been my, my sort of role model, um, he gets himself into trouble, but I just think he's, I t- think to do four hours every day by yourself is unbelievable. Um, and I think he, I think he really, really gets it. Um, let's see here. I mean, obviously I read the papers every day. I love the times. Um, I think we have two really, really good papers in this market. I've always been a big fan of the free press and we do have some good writing. And then I'm trying to think of who else does nice, good long form pieces. Um, uh, who's the guy for ESPN? It's not. Lang, I forgot his name. There's a chubby guy who writes these big, long, long form pieces for Grantland and for ESPN, the magazine, all the time. Um, and he does an outstanding job. His name is escaping me right now, but it's out there. You know, Sports Illustrated is still Sports Illustrated. Um, there, there are outlets still that are putting out big, long form um, journalistic pieces. Now, again, in today's day and age, people don't block off a half hour or forty minutes to read to just sit down and read. Um, so you can kind of piece it together, but I think having, I think, look, I, I go on Twitter every day for hours 
and I just read everything that pops up, everything that looks interesting. And that's not just sports, and that's not just the NBA. Um, you know, I think being being sort of worldly um, and going through the gawkers and, and, and these different websites, I think, it, I think it helps you out no matter what in your career. Jake Chapman, Detroit Sports 105.1, kind enough to give us some time getting to know him in his radio career. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chapman1051. You like to Twitter, huh? Me too. I'm big on Twitter, social media. It's a great way to connect with the audience and get a sense a little bit about how they're how they're taking the show, how they're gathering your information. It's a way too to uh, really kind of really interact with the fans. I'm I'm big on Twitter. I love it. Absolutely, it's it's changed media really in terms of now journalists have to get there first. They got to get information. Basically, it's opened up media to 24 seven accessibility to news and sports topics. And and you have it like when I first got into it because I was because I was producing, I was behind the scenes. I wasn't tweeting as much. Like I was, I was essentially representing the magic radio account. Like it wasn't even Jake Chapman's Twitter. And I used it specifically for about a year or two, just as a news source, you know, just all the guy, like I wanted to make sure if a trade went down in the NBA, I wasn't going to miss anything. But then you start following some writers that you like, and then maybe you start following some other news outlets, like, you know, the, the Boston globe or whatever. And now all of a sudden in one place, you know news from across the country. You know news from across different sports, and you know news from you know from from different regions. And so you might have missed out on that little nugget um, about Jaleel Okafor that you know one of the Philadelphia beat writers had um, five ten years ago. But now I got it. Like I know weird little things about Jaleel Okafor because I have it all on Twitter and all in my newsfeed, and it's it's the way it should work. I think. All right, you ready to talk a little bit about some hot topics in Detroit? Sure. Pistons, Lions. All right, the Pistons coming off of a 32 and 50 season kind of now have rebuilt. They've kind of, you know, they've traded for Ursan Ilyasova, acquired Steve Blake. They've re-signed Joel Anthony and guard Reggie Jackson. They've drafted Stanley Johnson. And now you're starting to see what this team is going to look like under Stan Van Gundy in his second season. It's going to want a team that's going to be effective in shooting. And it's going to be a team that's going to probably have to play strong defense in this league. Last year, not a great start, 5-23. Then they went twelve and three after letting go of Josh Smith, and then the the injury to Brandon Jennings was just a killer. Yep. You saw the team was really had a rise that we hadn't seen in a long time. They played great basketball, kind of brought life back, and then the injury happened, and the season kind of tailed off. But this season, there's a lot of hope going on that this Piston team can gel and play some good basketball. Your thoughts now on Stan Van Gundy and his second season here with the Pistons? Yeah, so I think I think there is kind of like. Like now you have a sense of what it's going to look like. I think last year was definitely a transition year. Now you have a, an, an idea. Look, all of these guys were brought in by Stan, at least the majority of them. You know, they're the only holdovers are Brandon Jennings, Kentavious Caldwell Pope, and Andre Drummond. Those are the only guys who were on roster before Stan got here. So these are Stan's guys. So now all of a sudden the spotlight's a little bit brighter. Now you have to see, um, you have to see progress. Does that mean they have to be a playoff team? No, of course not. But Stan, in wearing both hats, um, has made his bet, and so now he's going to lie in it. Now, I think it could be a really, really good basketball team because the you know the great part about it is you have a very young core. I mean, a lot of these guys are a lot of guys they're building around, anyways, are twenty five and under. So you can expect Reggie Jackson with this opportunity to at least at least be a starting caliber point guard. Can you expect exactly what he did the last twenty games of the year last year, which was one of the best three point guards in the league? No, maybe not. Um, over the course of a season. But I think you have a sense that Reggie Jackson can be pretty damn good and can probably earn that contract. Now Andre Drummond has dropped some weight. Um, he's he, It'll be year two, understand. 
no Greg Monroe and no Josh Smith to sort of upset the spacing on the offset uh, uh, offensive side of the floor. And then defensively, I think it, I think having other bigs did sort of upset Andre. I think now Andre will know I am the anchor of that defense because as far as I'm concerned, yes, it's great if he develops post moves and all that stuff. He's got to get better defensively, and that's what Stan wants to see first and foremost. Is he going to be Dwight Howard, three-time Defensive Player of the Year in a, in a row? Is he going to be Ben Wallace? Probably not. But he has to be better defensively, and he certainly has the potential to be one of the one of the better defensive centers in the league. So he needs to be he needs to take that personally this year. He needs to be the anchor of the defense. And then you look around, you bring you know you make the deal with Phoenix, you bring in a Marcus Morris, um, Stanley Johnson coming in. You've got some dudes on the perimeter who are going to be tough and defend like Stan Watts. So. The team has been built in Stan's image. Is it going to work right off the bat? It could be rocky. I mean, you got a lot of guys, you got a lot of young guys, A, and you got a lot of guys trying to learn each other quickly. With that said, I think by, you know, come January again, I think you're going to see at least a top eight team in the Eastern Conference. And I do think very, very strongly that by, <clears throat> by playoff time, regardless of where they are in terms of the seeding, they're going to be one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. And I mean, one of the better five teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, I think it, I think it is that quickly. Now, does that mean they'll make the playoffs again? I could see them starting off slowly again. Um, but as long as they're moving forward, then, then all is well, um, out at the palace. Yeah. I want to get your sense on the league a little bit because you can count on your hands, the number of dominant centers, and you can see now that the league is going towards building and constructing a team similar to golden state teams that can shoot from the perimeter are very effective, high scoring. Okay, but I'm old school. I grew up where there's dominant centers like Shaq, Hakeem Olajuwon. So for me, I'm kind of looking at basketball now and going, when I look around the league, there's not that many teams that can effectively shoot the basketball. I mean, you're looking at guys who are shooting maybe 38 to 45% being, you know, considered great at three-pointers. So now I see kind of Stan building the team in that likeness, and I'm not so sure personally how I feel about it, knowing that I prefer strong defense and going into the post more, starting first. But now the league's going towards, you know, getting guys like Steph Curry who can just knock and, and, and shoot the lights out. You know, your thoughts on the league, where it's going now with these shooters and going away from um, the inside game? Yeah, so I, you know, I think the rule changes certainly opened the game up um, late 90s and into the 2000s. They wanted to make it a more perimeter driven game. Mm. They wanted to make it, they wanted to speed it up. They didn't like the Pistons and the Spurs, 84, 81 finals games, right? Say what you want to about it. Uh, you and I like, like good, good, solid defense. But with that said, I think there's myriad reasons why the center doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, defenses got smarter, the rule changes, um, and it's just it's it's a lot easier to defend a big guy who's stationary with ball movement. It's pace and space now. Um, you're getting up and down more. The best teams do run, and the best teams space the floor. Now, a a good center, an effective center, helps you space the floor. So. The center position is not dead. It's just evolved a little bit. It's not Shaq dumped the ball down. But one of the most underrated things about Shaq was how good a passer he was. So Shaq was able to operate in the triangle um, because you had good shooters around him, like a Derek Fisher or like a Robert Ory. Then you had an amazing playmaker who, when everything broke down, was going to get the bucket himself and Kobe Bryant. In today's NBA, there are still centers and big men who, like I said, they're a little bit different. They're not quite the way they used to be. But you got a guy like Marcus Saul. You got a guy, uh, Zach Randolph with him. You got, you know, Tim Duncan is a center for crying out loud. He's different, but he's, but he, he, he could be considered a center, uh, when all is said and done. 
Um, you know, there, there are a lot of other guys around the league who are bigs. They just play a little bit differently. DeMarcus Cousins is a perfect example. He's in, in the old age, his offensive game would be a power forward, but look at him. He, he looks like a center to me. Um, DeMarcus Cousins, LaMarcus Aldridge, all these guys, these are bigs who, yes, they're technically power forwards, but they play the center position and, and they are the focal point of an offense because they're six foot 11 guys who can put the ball in the basket. AAU, I think has every every center wants to play on the perimeter and wants to show they can shoot. So I appreciate where that's gone, but I the center position is not dead. It's evolved a little bit, and I think the game is more fun now that you're not just dumping the ball in and having guys double down and, and we're just watching skyhooks over and over again. Um, I think it's a little overblown, but I do think, look, the the most effective and most efficient way to run an offense is layups and three-pointers. And, you know, and they have the numbers to back that up. So if you're building your offense around long twos, you're not going to win very many games. Now, people have kind of, you know, the Houston Rockets maybe have sort of blown that out of proportion. They're shooting 34 three-pointers a game. That's a little nuts. Um, You want a little bit more balance. But I think ideally you have one big guy who's rebounding the hell out of the basketball and defending on the other end. And then you've got playmakers and shooters around him. And so that's what Stan's going for, the one and four out. I don't think Andre will be a huge part of the offense in terms of back to, ba- uh, back to the basket, but they're going to run screen and roll all day. And you get Andre Drummond rolling down the lane, and, uh, and that's a scary proposition for most defenses. Now, early news was made when the schedule came out, no national TV exposure for the Pistons. And it kind of goes to, and people were thinking around town, man, the league doesn't respect the Pistons. The cachet for the organization kind of has gone down, being that they've missed the playoffs several consecutive seasons. A few blemishes last year when road teams like Toronto come into the Palace and kind of take over and start cheering louder than our fans. You know, speak on the fact that right now, the fact is, a lot of people, when you talk to them around here, the biggest factor is, no superstar. No guy that you know can get his own shot and do his own thing. We're thinking potentially Stanley Johnson has that bravado. He may evolve into that. But the Pistons right now, a little bit down on respect and no national TV coverage this year. It's a little bit challenging, and part of it is potentially not a lot of name recognition right. stars. Yeah, and you know, be patient with Stanley because Stanley's offense is still going to be a work in, pro- in progress. Certainly his jump shot is going to be, uh, but he's going to be, he's going to be fun to watch. He, you know, uh, Tracy McGrady told Ryan Hover, my co-host, last week that, like, this dude can defend, like, mm-hmm. really, really well. He's played against him before in, um, in some workouts. So he's going to be instantly a really, really good perimeter defender, but, he's, got, but he's, he's still a little raw offensively, and he's 19 years old. Superstars are superstars. They're, the NBA is so popular right now because they have superstars everywhere. I mean, literally, the Pistons are one of the only franchises who you can't look to and say, who's their superstar? Now, Andre Drummond, a lot of people are expecting to be that. Um, and certainly, he's one of the only big men in the league right now, period, who, who has that sort of potential. But I think with the Pistons, it's been years now. I mean, they won 28 games for, what, five straight years? You know, so it's been a long time since the Pistons were relevant nationally. I think a lot of people and a lot of insiders, quote-unquote, are excited about where they're headed because of Stan Van Gundy and because of the young core. And I also think Stan is completely comfortable not having a superstar because we saw the way it ended in Orlando when his superstar got a little too big for his britches. So I think part of that is by design. Stan wants any given night a different guy to be the one who punishes you. He doesn't want it to be too easy for games to game uh, teams to game plan for for his offense. Um, but I think he likes the idea of not one big sort of overshadowing ego in that locker room. And I think he's going to work 
work towards that. It doesn't necessarily work out when you're talking about national national coverage, um, but when and then the national the national attention will come. Yeah, and then uh, before we end to talk about the Pistons, you know, some news and notes uh, occurring this week. The good thing is I feel like Reggie Jackson and the new players are starting to gel. They want to bond together. They're spending some time together now in Vegas. A group of guys have gone out to Las Vegas, and they're going to train together with uh, some UFC fighters. That's a little interesting in that that kind of training can potentially lead to some injuries in terms of, you know, getting on the mat and maybe rolling an ankle or so, that's tough training. But your thoughts so far on, uh, you know, the Pistons gelling and going out there and, and training UFC style? Yeah, I love the idea to a certain extent, right? Like, so yeah, please please don't let Reggie uh, grapple and, and get into it too much of a scrap. I don't think they will. I think they'll be very cautious about that sort of stuff. It's a completely voluntary workout, but you do have Reggie and Andre showing up, from what I heard anyways. Um, that's big stuff, man. Like, having... These voluntary workouts where you get a majority of the team, that means you got a lot of guys buying in right now. And it just feels right, right? Like the Pistons, no matter what, should always be one of the most hard-nosed teams in the league. Um, they should always be one of the toughest teams in the league. That's how nationally people view the Pistons, um, going all the way back to the bad boys, obviously. So I love the idea that you know if any team is going to get little rough and if any team's got a little MMA in them it should be the Pistons that's the way it should be and Forrest Griffin I got a chance to interview Forrest Griffin when he was out at the palace and uh and he agreed he was like yeah going all the way he grew up a a Cavaliers and a Hawks fan because he's from both Columbus Ohio and Columbus Georgia which is interesting and he was like he was like if it's not a Hawks if it's not Cavs it's Pistons for me and he wasn't just saying that he was saying because the you know the bad boys are tough man if there's any sort of a team that that could be an MMA fighter, it would be the Pistons. So I think it's a good match, and I think it's great. It, it, it's good team building at this time of year. It's a, it, it's a nice thing to have, and there's not very many franchises who are together right now. October 6th, preseason opener versus Indiana at home. Look for Jake, pre- and post-game, Detroit Sports 105-1. So you've had a chance now to also peek in on our Detroit Lions. You've got to get a sense now of the inner workings of the 2015 training camp, and you're getting a sense a little bit around town of how the fans are cautiously optimistic with the Lions. That's a great word to describe the fans. Absolutely. Because of the history. But, you know, I'm starting to learn year by year. Just look. Actually, I feel like they're cautiously pe- pessimistic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, I'm trying to be more positive. That's right. Exactly. You're exactly right. And the, the past, we don't want to keep getting bit year after year because of the history. You know, you put so much into it, you invest as a fan, and then stuff like what happened last year in Dallas happens, and you just want success for the team. It's just we've waited so long, and that's what's going on with the fans is that we, we want to invest, but we kind of want to dip our toe in the pool and, and not jump all yeah, the way You in. don't want to be hurt again. I get it. I get it. I'm a, I, you know, I, I grew up a Cleveland Browns fan, and the Browns oh, are mm-hmm. the one team that I, I still hold on to because mm-hmm. of that, because it is the same type of relationship as Lions fans have. You know, they're too perennial terrible <laughs> franchises like it's and you know in cleveland we have names for you know the drive and the fumble and this and that and so there there's something appealing to me about a perennially beaten up fan base and it, because you yes you you approach the season like you do every season like maybe this is it but you know you just feel deep in your heart this can't be it it's the lions so I I fully appreciate that and I and I love that passion and I I also really I kind of like that that mentality that like no other fan is as tough as we are. We've we've gone through 60 years of the Lions, right? With that said, if you remove all of that emotion, which I appreciate is very difficult to do, it's a pretty dang good football team. It looks like it to me anyways. And as a Browns fan, I always just tell Lions fans, especially when they start talking about number 9, 
we'll trade with you in a matter of seconds. 20 teams would trade with the Lions for Matt Stafford. So, yes, Stafford is probably ultimately the most important piece of this whole puzzle. However far he takes them is how far they'll go because they got everything else in place. It's just a matter of can he come through on that one drive, on that one third and short, whatever. But A, I think he can. I think this is kind of like the same thing with the Pistons. I think it's year two under Caldwell. Obviously, they have much bigger expectations than the Pistons do. But I think this is a referendum year on both Caldwell and Stafford. If not now, when? You know, maybe if Calvin and Golden Tate both go down, then you sort of give them a, a, a mulligan for the season. But this is the year for the offense. I mean, we should see we should see an explosive offense this year. And the defense, as far as I've seen and as far as I'm concerned, is going to be just fine. I appreciate the fact that Ndamukong Sue gets a better pass rush than any other defensive tackle in the league. Eight and a half sacks last year. But you can manufacture that elsewhere. And you get Haloti Nada in there, and the one thing you know is he's going to eat up blocks. So as long as you can get a little bit of a different look in terms of blitz packages and schemes and maybe get some sacks from the secondary, maybe start sending some cornerback blitzes, maybe, you know, Ziggy steps up this year, uh, maybe the, you know, having a healthy linebacking core, you know, with Tolik in there, maybe Whitehead can kind of kind of do what he does best and maybe you can get a better pass rush from those guys. I think you have a lot of talent on the defense, uh, defensive side of the ball, and I do not see Ndamukong Sue's absence being something you can't recover from. Yes, it'll be a loss. You don't replace him. Um, but I don't think it's going to be like a death blow to that defense at all. Now, a particular concern right now in training camp is the injuries. After preseason game two, Karan Reed, Warford are hurt. Um, Haloti Nada, Coach Caldwell came out and said, maybe pump the brakes on his return for game one. Yep. Joyke Bell hasn't practiced at all. After having minor surgery for his Achilles back in January, the injuries are a little bit concerning in that if everybody's healthy, you know this team has potential. But right now, going through the preseason, starting to get nicked up a little bit. Well, the good thing is there's not, they haven't gotten the Jordy Nelson. They haven't gotten the Marquise Pouncey yet, right? So yeah, Warford and Karan Reed go down last week, but they're ankle sprains. For interior linemen, ankle sprains are a bit of a concern. I mean, you're tweaking that thing. You're torquing that thing, uh, play in and play out. But you give those guys the rest, the rest of the preseason off, I would assume. Um, just tell them to get ready for September 13th. I don't think they're too concerned with Nada. Um, he said today, Jim Caldwell, that he was on uh, his, his, how did he put it? His return to play protocol is fine, is the way the coach phrased it. So, um, and not as another guy, like I said, because all he really does, because he's a veteran and because he has experience in Baltimore where Terrell Austin was, you just plug him in and he eats blocks. It's not like a receiver where he's got to know different routes. Um, that it's pretty simple. Not his job is simple. Go get the football, you know, and, and, and eat up those blocks in the interior of the defensive line. So I'm not too concerned about him either. I do think if he is not going to be ready for week one and then Karan Reed, his ankle is balky. Now you're talking about Tyron Walker and maybe some of the other guys, the, 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 the Cudjos and the, and the Wootens and whoever else you're going to throw in there. That's a bit of a concern on the defensive front, but I think not. I'll be good to go for week one. I think Karan Reed will probably be good to go for week one. The biggest injury concern sounds like Kyle Van Noy. He sounded like Van Noy might be headed for surgery today, uh, which is very disconcerting for a kid who, uh, I'm sorry, he's been a disappointment, you know, through his first two seasons. Um, Hopefully he can get that thing turned around. Hopefully he can get healthy first. Uh, But I don't think they need him, to be honest with you, to generate a pass rush. I think they're very comfortable with the linebacking core. Um, And I think Joyke Bell will be fine. I, I bet he'll be practicing by the end of the week. 
Now, in the NFL, I read something uh, regarding the injuries, 24 ACL injuries the last couple of years. It's pretty serious, and it sparked a continued debate regarding what the hell are we going to do with this preseason. Right. What, what's going on, most teams are, like, like the Lions are with Calvin Johnson, and I, as I talked with Adam about on our podcast, just let him stay on the bench. We need him for game one. So most teams are kind of looking at keeping your star players on the bench for the preseason. So in talking about the preseason, the alternative is two games in the preseason and add two games and make it an eighteen game season. You're still playing the you're still playing the games, but you're not counting them as in the preseason. Right. Your thoughts on that? You know, I, <sighs> twenty games, but instead of a you know a four it's game the same preseason. difference. It's just two more games that count. And I just have to think: Aren't players going to get injured more so? I mean, if you do an eighteen game se- season and you, it, let's say you included the last two games of the preseason, right? And you counted up the the injuries. Then I guarantee you, the eighteen game regular season will be will feature a lot more injuries because they're playing harder, and it actually means something. I don't think an eighteen game season is the end of the world. I don't think it's very far off either. I mean, obviously, the league wants to get that done. I think the only way to really curb injuries is to take away two games. Period. Two games in the preseason. You can make it a whole month long if you need to. Um, but. Jake, you're being idealistic. They're not going to cut the gates. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know. Exactly. It's, it's not going to happen. So I, I I don't see how... I mean, I understand the fact that, okay, now they're getting hurt in something that means something. The fans won't really mind as much uh, because the game the game has an actual bearing. I just, you know, what what's the goal? Is the goal to limit injuries or is the goal to make the injuries in a game that counts? Mm. All in all, I don't think it necessarily changes anything one way or the other. And as a matter of fact, I know there will be more injuries. Like, ask an NFL player what he would prefer, an 18-game regular season or two less preseason games. And, you know, I mean, no matter what, there's they know. They just want less preseason games. Like you said, I'm being idealistic. The money is there. Nothing's going to change. And we do this every year. We have this debate. And every year, the injuries happen. I, I would say players are more reluctant to have an 18-game regular season than they are to stick with the status quo and keep playing four preseason games. All right, so you saw the schedule for the Lions. What uh, Did you do the whole win-loss thing like us fans do? You know, I hate doing that because the NFL more so than anybody else. Like I, I feel like I'd be better off in the NBA going through <laughs> all 82. More than anybody else, like... A four and twelve team will be twelve and four, and a twelve and four team will be four and twelve this year. So I did not, but the way I like to do it is I like to look at the divisions they're playing, and so I think you can kind of get get something there. But it's funny that you said that because even still, like I don't know what to think about the San Diego Chargers. So if I like, I they're one team that I'm really fascinated in this year. I think it's kind of rubber meets the road time for Mike McCoy. And I also think that they have some potential, and I love Philip Rivers. Um, so it's so funny. Like even if I went through the win loss thing, I wouldn't be able to get through week one because I don't know what to think about San Diego. I could see them going six and ten, and I could see them going ten and six. Now, before we start talking about the Tigers a little bit, does the NFL have an image problem? I mean, you got Chris Carter coming on the news with that horrific video that was featured, telling the rookies to get a fall guy. Deflate Gay has still not ended. The courts are pushing the league to finish this. Does the league have an issue, a, a perception issue going on, and w- why is it like this? I mean, you'd think that a guy who's making that much money could run the league in a much more proficient manner. Yeah, no, you would, but he doesn't. He's a poor manager, Roger Goodell. And so do they have an image issue? Right now they do, but on September 13th they won't. You know, So yes, every year they're, they're too big, and that's part of it. But he does a really bad job. I mean, he just doesn't have his house in order. And there are a lot of times 
where I go, man, one meeting and they could have blocked, they could have, uh, you know, avoided this whole mess. And I'm talking about, you know, every day there's a, there's a new stain and you can look at it however you want. Do I think Roger Goodell is a bad person? No, I just think he's a poor manager. And I think it's a little too big for him to control right now. No matter what, there's going to be rogue messages. There's going to be rogue players. And again, come September 13th, we're not going to worry about it. But I'm, I can't, like, if you were to put Adam Silver in charge of the NFL, ooh, look out. That would be, I mean, they would literally run the world. You're always going to have knuckleheads. I, it, you as a, as a mental health professional, you have to look at it and go, well, you guys were training these people to be violent. And then we are shocked when they're violent off mm-hmm. the field. Um, I think that's, uh, that's the biggest thing that, that always sort of drives me nuts. Like we want them to be savages, but then we want them to just flick that switch off when they leave, when they leave at night. And we also want them to not abuse drugs in order to get over their, their injuries. And we don't expect them to drink to the point of excess. You know, we expect them to be model citizens, but then on Sunday we want them to be warriors. So I appreciate that. And I do think people overreact a little bit to, to some of the off field stuff. You got 60 guys, you know, 63 with a practice squad on every team. So there are going to be guys getting in trouble. But with that said, some of these messages, some of the messaging from the league, and, you know, this is a perfect example with Chris Carter. What he said was stupid. It was probably just taken out of context. But the fact that that thing lived on their website for over a year just proves that there aren't enough people guarding the message and guarding the shield. And, uh, And if there are... They're not competent. So I think I, I think Goodell is a short timer, man. I, I think sooner than later, people are going to go, I'm sorry, you're, you're doing more bad than good. Now, transition to the Tigers. A season full of hope has come crashing down. The game versus Cincinnati, I think, might have been the point where the fans have said, oh, and some fans have kind of started to. No, wasn't it the Minnesota game? Oh, yeah. and then, and I feel like there's been a but lot that, of those but moments. That, but, but yesterday, but uh, the game versus Cincinnati was just horrid. Oh, yeah. a, a, tough, a tough season because we wanted to win the World Series. We thought this was a World Series caliber team, and it's just been an epic collapse. And now the general manager's gone, the team, the management's in flux. We got questions about who's going to be the manager next year, who's going who's gonna to be brought in to fix this bullpen. Really a chaotic situation for our Tigers, and it wasn't supposed to be this way. Yeah, and I, I feel like the last two months, you know, it's almost like Roger Goodell's been running the organization. <laughs> I just, I, I feel like they haven't had their crap together. You know, to, to, put, it, to put it bluntly, um, look, the, the whole thing fell apart on the field, right? So that was almost unavoidable. Obviously, the bullpen was never dealt with. Um, obviously, you know, as soon as you traded David Price away, you were sort of saying... I don't know if you were necessarily punting on the season, but you were saying we need to think more about the next three or four years than we do about this year because this team probably doesn't have a legitimate shot. With that said, instances like the fight in the club in the dugout, right? And then the next day when Iglesias answered questions and kept talking and did not apologize and kept talking, and then finally a Tigers PR staffer cut him off. You know, obviously there have been myriad bullpen meltdowns you can go to minnesota you can go to cincinnati um miggy yelling at Woj the other day in the clubhouse it's just it it reeks of a team that doesn't have leadership it's a team that doesn't have focus you hear guys throwing teammates under the bus after games ian kinsler did that earlier this year to castellanos um you got guys obviously fighting when you're talking about iglesias and mccann you've got missed signs quite a bit you've got you know it's a team that lacks focus and in baseball, you have to be locked in day in and day out. Now, does that all fall on Brad Ausmus? Maybe not. I feel like we're probably a little too hard on him 
but I also think at some point, like we just want you to be accountable as Tigers fans and as the, the sports media. At some point, the Astros game, when you pitched to Altuve, just tell me afterwards, that was on me. I made a mistake. Stan Van Gundy has no problem admitting to a mistake. They're 5-23. and 23. He goes, we're not playing well. I'm not coaching well either. Players love to hear that stuff. Now, I couldn't tell you how players feel about Brad Ausmus, but the way they're playing sometimes is a good indication of that. And it doesn't seem like they're playing for anybody right now, except basically they're playing to get the season over with. So I wouldn't be shocked if Brad Ausmus were fired at the end of the year. I think the Dabrowski thing was a joke. I mean, to put Alex Av- or Al Avila up there, he's been waiting 24 years for that day. And he's there's no member of the Illich family with him. There's not, not even a PR staffer with him. And it's the day Dombrowski got blindsided fired. And he's got to answer all the questions about Dave Dombrowski. I thought that was crappy. I feel like they've, they, they, they've kind of let everything sort of get away from them in the last couple months. And, uh, and I, don't think it's a, I don't think it's a poorly run organization. I think it's just sort of gone haywire. Um, give them a winner. I think they'll fix things. And look, there's still a lot of talent there. This team could be back in the mix next year. And now, after making those deals, they're going to have a little bit of money to, to go out. I don't think you're, you're not talking about going out and throwing $200 million at somebody. Um, but they can probably bolster uh, the rotation a little bit. And then, obviously, you got to build the pen. That lineup's going to hit next year. I mean, bring everybody back as far as the position players go, maybe with one or two changes. And I think, you you know, come spring training, everybody's uh, everybody's got their eye on the prize. Jake Chapman, Detroit Sports 105.1, at Chapman 105.1 on Twitter. Now, we'll get you out of here on this. We ask all the guests that come in here just to get a sense of uh, a little bit of your personality and what you would do in this situation. you got four tickets, any sporting event, any venue, and you can take three people with you, dead or alive, friends, family, celebrities, people that you admire. What event would you go to, and who would you take? Oh, my God. Whew. So this event can be whatever, like I can put the teams in it? Whatever you like. Yeah, sure. Okay. It could be a Super Bowl. It could be a baseball game. Yeah, so I would, I would put the Cleveland Browns in the Super Bowl, and I would go to the Browns Super Bowl, and I would bring my father, my passed away grandfather, and my cousin, who lives in Philadelphia. And he, my, my dad's a big sports fan. My grandpa was a big sports fan. My cousin in Philadelphia is the biggest Cleveland sports fan I've ever met before in my life. And he's lived in Philadelphia his entire life. It's just how we were raised. And, um, and I think that would be, that'd be a good time. How would you feel if the venue was Detroit? Yeah, it'd be great. Wouldn't it be great? We could stay at my house. There you go. And uh, and yeah, Super Bowl at Ford Field, I, I didn't get a chance, but I mean, I, I hope it's coming back soon. Um, I would love, I think that'd be so great for the city. I think it'd be a lot of fun, and I would love to be a part of that. That'd be awesome. Browns, Lions, Super Bowl, huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, w- I was saying it last year. There was one point, what were the Browns last year? I think five and three after eight weeks, and I was like, it's coming. Browns, Lions, the two most uh, tortured fan bases in football, and uh, boy, that would be great. That would be awesome. There would be wars. That'd be fun. Jake, thank you for coming in, chatting one-on-one with the Doc. feel like we got a chance to get to know you, your passion for sports. We'll definitely be tuning in to Detroit Sports 105.1, to the Lions uh, training camp shows in the evenings, you filling in on different shows when the guys are out, and definitely we'll check you out during the Pistons season on the, on the uh, Detroit Pistons review shows, and definitely the pre- and post-games during the Pistons 2015-2016 season. Jake Chapman, thank you very much. Doc, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.